I have a lot of uh, things I'd like to share with you this evening. Some reflections, some poetry. Uh, I even have some predictions for the coming year. Um, and hopefully we'll have some time for discussion at the end. Questions and answers, and I hope you have some answers, because <laughs> I don't. So this, this, is a, this time of year can be difficult for people. It's, uh, I always have a little bit of a struggle with the season and the uh, darkness. And I mean, that's why we put up all the lights, right? To try to cheer ourselves up. So here's a little piece of doggerel that I wrote. <laughs> the dark, oh, the dark. It's not really so stark, the dark. Just a time without light, a bark without bite, a time to rest from the glare of the sun, a time to get something done or undone. Inside your mother you could not see. The womb of the world is a black hole in space. The dark is the place of fertility. In the dark you can see your original face. Without the dark we would not know there was light. We would never see day without seeing the night. And there's nothing to fear, really nothing to fear. This darkness keeps turning our way every year. And the season of darkness is here once again, and sometimes it feels like it never will end. But the sun is reborn every year at this time. And out of the dark will be born the sublime, and maybe even a new paradigm that will light up the world and continue to shine. <laughs> So just keep the faith and have little doubt that soon the sun will decide to come out and shine much longer and stronger each day and the dark will retreat and the cold go away. So friends, when the winter has truly begun, know that you soon will arise like the sun. This is kind of like a Dr. Zeusian. So tomorrow night at uh, midnight, we will declare that another year has passed and another year begins. But of course, it's completely arbitrary. <laughs> we could say, you know, our journey around the sun starts now. And we would come to this moment again in a year and say, yeah, now we've gone all the way around the sun. The earth has gone all the way around the sun. And where did it get us? <laughs> right back where we started. A little dizzier, I admit, but right back where we started. Uh, you know, the Kepler Space Telescope has been finding evidence of all these different uh, planets in our galaxy that look like they could support life. One of them is uh, Gliese 581G. That's what they call it, or have numbered it. Uh, and in, on Gliese 581g, the, the planet goes around its sun every 37 days. So the years just go whizzing by. You know, if, you, if, you were a, if you're a Gleaser, you know, it's just... Uh, I'd be a lot older than I am now. 
Gleesa 581G, which is this is interesting that it's a couple dozen, only a couple dozen light years from Earth. So if there are living beings, conscious beings on that planet, Gleesers, they're about to watch their first episode of I Love Lucy. And not in reruns either. So in the Dharma, of course, every, every moment is a new year, is a new chance for presence, chance to be alive and fully alive and with your experience, with acceptance and equanimity. <coughs> and uh, so tomorrow we're going to declare that it's 2014. <coughs> That's if you follow the Christian calendar. I don't think we should all have to follow that calendar, to tell you the truth. I mean, some of us are Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims, and, and the, the Jews are in the year 5774. We were here first. <laughs> but why, so why should we all have to follow that calendar? You know, there should be separation of church and date. A calendar is just an arbitrary way of marking human history anyway. So why don't we bring all humanity together under one calendar? We could start counting maybe from the beginning of our species, which would make this about the year 200,000. It would be a little hard to write on your checks, but it, it would give us more of a sense of where we're coming from, right? I mean... 2014 is not, not a very long time, considering how long life has been growing on this planet. We could date our calendar starting from, the, from 20 mil, 200 million years ago. That's when mammals first appeared. You know, we are of that class. Of course, if we're all part of this Big Bang universe, then... Our calendar should begin 13.7 billion years ago, right? Because that's when the Big Bang was, 13.7 billion years ago, today. <laughs> Why not? Einstein, you know, he said that uh, the past, the present, and the future are stubbornly <coughs> persistent illusions. But you can't talk about time without also talking about space. It's space-time now. And uh, everything happens uh, in a physics uh, sense, uh, astrophysics sense. Everything's happening simultaneously. I've never quite been able to <laughs> grok that, but that's what they say. Everything is happening kind of simultaneously. It's so bizarre to think of. And, but Einstein was smart, so you know you want to give some credence to what he says. But if space, if, if we now have to refer to space-time rather than space and time, then when you say, be here now, you're being redundant, you know? It's like, 
These are some of the dilemmas we, we struggle, we, we wrestle with. <laughs> Zen Master Dogen wrote a whole treatise on time. It's fabulous. If you ever get a chance to look, look up Zen Master Dogen, D-O-G-E-N, he wrote a piece of, on time. He said every, you can, that a way to liberation, enlightenment, is to see everything as time. <laughs> And that the entire universe is contained in a moment of time. He says, what, what is there in the universe that is not contained in this moment? I mean, you could, you could spend a, a lifetime working with that kind of koan, you know. Each moment is the entire world. Like fish, we, we don't usually see the water. We don't see the time we live in, the cultural moment, which has a huge effect on how we live our lives and how we feel about our lives. And it's really, I think, useful to reflect <laughs> on the fact that we are living in an amazing age where things are changing so quickly and we are we have become so dominant as a species over the life of this planet and um, that it's it's just a, a very unique moment to be alive confusing often and uh, frightening quite often and uh, disturbing but also wonderful and as comfortable and as as you could imagine I mean, if you read any history you know this is like a, a time of rare freedom and abundance that we're living through we're we're like the luckiest people in the last you know 10,000 years go back to when our great-great-grandparents were first starting to live in cities and cultivate agriculture, and, and uh, that wasn't too long ago. 10,000 years is not very long ago. I'll give you just a little bit of a rundown of things about the time we're living in. Henry Ford built his first car in 1893, so a little over 100 years ago first automobile. Now there's something like 800 million cars in the United States alone or something like that. I don't know. The Wright brothers made their first flight in 1903. 1900 was the first transmission of human speech via radio. <laughs> 1900, Max Planck first formulated the quantum theory, which led to the creation of the atom bomb and Complete transformation of our understanding of reality. 1900, this is all just, just a blink of an eye ago. 1900, Freud published The Interpretation of Dreams. In 1900, only one and a half billion people lived on the earth. That's just a little over a hundred years. One billion one and a half billion people. And now, of course, what, seven billion? I saw a bumper sticker that 
the other day, said, seven billion people can't be right. <laughs> there, is some, there is some speculation that the people who wrote the Bible got God's message wrong. It wasn't go forth and multiply, it was go forth and add. <laughs> But no, over, just a little over 100 years ago, no cars, no airplanes, no radio, no television, no computers, no painkillers, no antibiotics, no birth control, no Ziploc bags. 100 years ago, nobody believed in rock and roll. 100 years ago, most of... Our ancestors, I would guess, were just up from the peasantry, maybe still peasants, uh, you know, working people, laborers, not college educated, not, you know, uh, not self-employed as everybody in Marin is, but <laughs> I, my, I remember my father, we, we were sitting around, we'd be sitting around our little uh, table in... Norfolk, Nebraska, having dinner, uh, and, you know, some kind of casserole. Or sometimes he'd just kind of lean back in his chair, and he'd say, we live like kings here. And he had grown up in Poland. He had left Poland when he was 17 or 18, had to desert from the Polish army and went through all this, you know, hardships, living on potato peels and to get over to... You know, we live like kings here. Of course, I thought this was a pretty meager situation where I was eating, <laughs> having this casserole. Uh, not so long ago, most people knew who their God was and practiced religious rituals that were thousands of years old. Just a a little reflection on where we live, how we live now. It, it seems like it's going so fast, it's hard, to, it's hard to keep up with it. All the technological changes, how we can, we can uh, be in touch with each other constantly. Do you really think that's healthy? <laughs> I'm, I'm always struck by the, the new information that we're getting from the astronomers and the physicists and uh, the biologists. And uh, my opening page of my search engine is the NASA picture of the day. And NASA chooses a picture every day of their, their favorite picture of the, of the heavens. Or you see galaxies being born and, uh, you know, explosion of supernova and new formations that have never been seen. It's just phenomenal. When I think about the fact that less than 100 years ago, we knew of one galaxy in the universe. The latest estimate is that there are 100 to 200 billion galaxies. Billion. billion. 
galaxies, and we're not talking about solar systems, we're talking about galaxies containing 30 to 50 billion trillion suns. So, who are we now in that vastness? <laughs> what, does that, what does that do to our sense of ourselves and our importance in the universe? I mean, we, for so long, we thought everything revolved around the Earth, and then we finally figured out that we, the Earth is revolving around the sun, but now we, you know, we know of all of these other galaxies, and uh, it looks like it's extremely probable more than probable, it's almost certain that there's life everywhere out there. Because there's all sorts of planets that could support life that, that go around their sun in, in the Goldilocks zone, right? Not too hot, not too cold. <laughs> could be water, could be life. I think finding life all over the universe is really good news because it takes the pressure off of us, you know? <laughs> we no longer have to carry the entire meaning of the cosmos. It's not just about us. What a relief. Okay, so where, where is this? So where are we? Let me, let me just give you a little bit of a synopsis here of a... We're on a little water planet circling a small to moderate-sized star we call the Sun, which is located on the edge of the Milky Way galaxy on a spur called the Orion Arm. The Milky Way is in a small cluster of galaxies we call the Local Group. <laughs> other planets, they have a different name for it. The other large galaxy in our cluster is Andromeda, which is 2.5 billion light-years away and is twice as big as the Milky Way. And in three billion years, Andromeda and the Milky Way will collide and pass through each other. <laughs> and you thought you were going to save the planet, right? <laughs> well, maybe for a few more generations. Several billion years after they pass through each other, the black holes at the center of these two galaxies will combine, creating a super black hole. And as you probably know, that will really suck. <laughs> Chuangzi. Chuangzi, the great Taoist trickster. Does heaven turn? Or does the earth sit still? Do sun and moon compete for a place to shine? Who masterminds all this? Who pulls the strings? Who, resting inactive, gives the push that makes it go this way? I wonder, is there some mechanism that works it and won't let it stop? I wonder if it just rolls and turns and can't bring itself to a halt. Who does all this? Who puffs up the clouds? Who showers them down like this? Who, resting inactive, stirs up all this lascivious joy? Whose breaths and exhalations are these winds? Who, resting inactive, huffs and puffs them about like this? What a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. And we have available to us all the culture, all the wisdom of all the cultures of the world. You know, Google, just go. 
I've been uh, studying a little bit the philosophy of the Stoics. And the Stoics uh, really had practices. They not only had a philosophy, they had practices. And, and to, develop, uh, to develop positive moods. And they weren't Stoic, as we think of the word Stoic now. In fact, they, they were devoted to pleasure. But they didn't go chasing after it. They, whatever was presented, whatever was, uh, you know, happened to be there for them, they tasted it deeply. And one of their practices that I really like is they would call what was called, uh, do what was called negative visualization. And they would think of all the terrible things that could have happened to them that didn't happen to them. And they did this as a practice. Some of them did it daily, you know. My daughter and I were doing this for a while. Yeah, well, one of us was bummed out, you know. Well, I didn't get hit by any falling space junk yet today. Uh, I give thanks almost every day for living in an interglacial period. It's the equi- living in California is the equivalent, I guess. Uh, it's a wonderful little practice. Gratitude, the sense of gratitude and the, the fullness of our lives. And, you know, comparison is not a, considered a spiritual value that you want to, you know, use too often. But if you compare yourselves to past generations and history, uh, you know, historical comparisons, it's useful. You're not, uh, I don't think you're, you know, causing any harm that way. <laughs> All right, so I'm, I want to go now into, uh, I've, I've done a couple of uh, pieces for radio recently. I want to offer those to you, and then maybe we'll do some discussion. By far the biggest news story of the year, 2014, and this is a little bit of the flip side of the gratitude of living it in this time. Maybe we know too much. By far the biggest news story of the year 2013 was the atmosphere. And I don't mean the vibes on the planet. I mean the actual air, our medium, the stuff we move through and live in. The really big news of the year came from the weathermen and the science pages, and it was all about temperature and the circulation of gases and water currents, the growing acidity of the oceans, the glaciers melting and fish stocks declining, the exponential increase in the rate of species extinction. The story of the year was not Afghanistan or the congressional gridlock or the new pope or celebrity scandals. The story of the year was that there's a wound in the body of the earth. And you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. Future historians, or maybe even beings from another planet, might look at us someday and say, they began to understand what was happening to their little biosphere project, but they didn't know how to switch off the primal instincts that they carried inside. They hadn't figured out how to override the fear and aggression. They didn't know how to break free of their 
stifling individualism, their private cars and dishwashers, everyone walking around in their singular universe of entertainment choices. They couldn't seem to learn how to cooperate as a single species trying to manage its life on the planet. Which brings us to our religions and this holiday season and where we place our sacred attention. And perhaps we should be giving more of that attention to the winter solstice, which marks the rebirth of the sun. That's the S-U-N, our Father who art in orbit. <laughs> Hallowed be thy rays. In fact, the solar and seasonal changes are most likely the source of all of our celebrations this time of year, the Celtic Druid Festival of the Stars, Mithra's birthday, the Kachina night dances in the Hopi Pueblo, the Roman Saturnalia, the Jewish Hanukkah, the Christian Christmas. Most of these celebrations involve turning on a lot of lights and then eating and drinking too much, which could lead us to believe that their common roots lie in the fact that it's cold and dark outside and everybody has cabin fever and the best solution is to find a good excuse for binging. <laughs> but just maybe if we brought some of our sacred attention back to the sun, we would start to remember again that we are earthlings. We'd take better care of our mother. Maybe we would then remember that even though our various tribes believe in different gods, we share the same sun. Maybe we would understand that if we want this human experiment to continue, then we've got to learn new ways of living and consuming. And so, before I run off to have some grog and potato latkes, remember to bow down to the sun this week, last week. While you're down there, give Mother Earth a kiss. And of course, if you don't like the fruitcake your aunt sent you for Christmas, Go out and make one of your own. No, that's, uh, that's all right, please. <laughs> yes, we live in, a, in an amazing time. And uh, there's a lot of, a list of very ominous possible disasters facing us. And I think partly that's what we're doing here, is trying to learn how to calm the aggression and the isolation and the, you know, the individual drama, the devotion to the individual drama and find some new connection and some new sense of who we are in the scheme of things so that we can begin the healing process. And so that we can prepare for what's coming, because I, it's, it's going to be some hard times in the next century or two. Maybe we won't see the brunt of it, but I probably several generations of our offspring will encounter some difficult times. I mean, every, every morning in the last couple of weeks, I've been waking up and saying, what a beautiful day, I wish it would rain. <laughs> Start to get ready. Start to plan, plan your, your conservation of water. Remember, if it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it down. Do you remember back then? In the, yeah, sure, we're, that's coming.
no, almost no doubt about the fact that it's coming. Maybe, uh, maybe we could open up the floor for some comments or questions or answers or whatever for a little bit before I go to predictions. <laughs> yes. So I'm curious, uh, in all the time I've been coming out here, and I'm not deeply studied in the Dharma or any of that, but I've, I've never seemed to hear the word patience. Now, have I just, not, have I just missed it? Or is that not uh, a feature of, uh, of the Dharma? It's definitely a quality that you want to cultivate when you are uh, doing the practices. Mm -hmm. Because... You know, we're working with minds that were trained over, were, were developed over millions of years uh, to be members of small tribes of hunter-gatherers, basically. And, you know, we're given, we're given a particular condition that's really difficult to change much, you know. And so the patient's... It's kind of, I, I think forgiveness is better. And, no, you know, to say, to forgive yourself for not being mindful all the time and not being able to be mindful all the time when you meditate or when you, when you go out into the world and how often you forget, you know, to be mindful, to be present, to be in equanimity. Forgive yourself because, you know, it's a Herculean task. It, it's... We're, we're, we're members of a species that is just beginning to really awaken. And uh, we're doing pretty good at it, actually, I think. So have patience. So have patience, yes. And forgiveness. Still looking for answers. Hi. So my question is, um, why should we be grateful when there is injustice in the world and many of the, ple the, the plenty we enjoy, much of the abundance of resources we have is ill-gotten gain. It is acquired at others' expense, such as the land and food and water stolen from other communities in, uh, around the world. Mm -hmm. There was a great poem uh, by Jack Gilbert. I'm trying to remember the title of it. But the poem said, or there's one line that's so great. It says, to focus only on the injustice is to praise the devil. That you have to allow yourself some delight from your existence and what you enjoy or else you are cheapening the suffering of all others. You know, you do your best to um, right the wrongs of the world and, you know, to make sure everybody's fed and there's less and less. You want to devote yourself to 
helping ease the suffering of all. But at the same time, you know, you, you don't want to deny your situation totally. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, it's, it's a bit of a dilemma, but it, I think it's, uh, you don't indulge yourself. You don't go crazy with it all. You do as little harm as you can. It wasn't a good answer, was it? <laughs> it's okay. I just want to add to that. I just came back from India, so I was really bearing witness to that. Um, in a sustainable community, I think one of the main solutions is cultivating personal sustainability and awareness into ourselves and being that change. And then when we're you know, living in societies like this, being a conscious consumer... Very good. Being loving, using nonviolent communication, looking into our own well-being because, like, the suffering that we're experiencing, all this depression, anxiety that, you know, all these corporations want us to become addicted to these medicines, really, it's, you know, a microcosm of the, the earth is suffering. And we are, you know, suffering because of that. You know, it's not healthy, this, you know, lifestyle choice of just constantly consuming and escaping and trying to change ourselves to fit into the world. Mm -hmm. So I think, mm -hmm. you know, meditation practice and being gr grateful for, you know, the, the simple little things in nature and hiking and following your passion and just bearing witness to the suffering. Thank but you. while, <laughs> anyway, yeah. sorry, <laughs> really passionate about this topic. Right? Yes, you are. That's <laughs> wonderful. No, it, and, and absolutely, and, and touching on, on meditation, uh, Joanna Macy, my friend and colleague, uh, says that uh, Dharma practice is an antidote to consumerism because you start to find your satisfaction here now in in yourself and in the in your ability to uh, tame your mind from its usual state of desire, and discomfort, and dissatisfaction. So, you know, you kind of undercut the, the prime, that message of consume in some way. And it, but it's really difficult. I mean, every time you get in your car, you know, and how, how are you going to change your transportation habits uh, until the whole society begins to change and move towards, you know, sustainable transportation? I think the automobile is the curse of our existence. Everybody, is, sometime in the future, they're going to look back on us and they're going to say, they all had their own little box of steel and plastic that they drove around <laughs> wherever they went, wherever they wanted to go, whenever they wanted to go, and everyone had their own little box. And how absurd that is, really, when you think about it, right? Why do we all need it? Huh? To get out of the city, right, to get away from the traffic, yeah. <laughs> Somebody else, yeah. Or wherever you, wherever. There's two right here. 
One down here, one back there. One sitting on the floor here and one back there. Siri wants to say something. <laughs> well, I wanted to offer you an answer to a question. And I think that one of the answers is in our face, that when we see people and we genuinely smile, we have no idea how far reaching that is. Mm. I notice and I see often that people are not smiling. People are in their own turmoil and unhappiness and thinking about if it's a car, it's the, the vehicle that they drive in called their own self. And that something happens, not that I want anything from the other person, but simply smiling creates something different each and every moment in that person's life that I don't know and who they contact next. That they might have said something bitter for some reason. That the smile is a huge component of what will change this world. Thank you. Thank you. Very, very, very good. If, if we have time, we might do a little, little exercise about that. But, uh, uh, Hafiz says, O wondrous creatures, by what strange miracle do you so often not smile? You were quoting statistics, and this is one I heard, I don't know if it's true, that of all the people that have ever lived on this planet, half of them are alive today. All of them. It's <laughs> <laughs> true, all of them. <laughs> uh, I'm going to leave that alone. I have no idea. <laughs> How to conceive of that, actually. He, I feel like let's make a deal or something. <laughs> I'd like to buy an A. Uh, <clears throat> picking up on your theme of cars, uh, there's a book published earlier this year called Walkable City, written by Jeff Speck. And the primary theme is it's very readable, and it... it it convincingly shows, approves, to me at least, that we've made a horrible mistake in all of our urban design, Absolutely. accommodating automobiles instead of people's lifestyles. Absolutely. Thank you. Instead of what? It, we've, we've made our cities to, to service automobiles, make it convenient for automobiles rather than people. Hi. Um, I just saw a quote, um, <laughs> quote yesterday. I saw it, and it comes from the leader of one of the biggest, um, cor I guess maybe you can call it corporate, but the institutions in the world, Pope Francis. And he was talking about how until we, as a people, Face the unpower, the power of the corporations and the, these economies and these, and take care of the poor. 
that nothing, there's no hope. I mean, it just was amazing to me, and I'm slaughtering what he said, but he basically was saying, this shows that in this world where everything is crazy and all these catastrophes are looming, there's, there's change and there's hope and there's, yeah. oh, there's awakening. He, he's, he's bringing hope. He's, he's a good guy, I yeah. think. I mean, he's infallible, but he's, a, he's also a, good, a really good guy. One, yeah, one more, and then... One of the wonderful things about not using the car and using public transportation, um, having been working with people one-on-one for many years, um, I noticed all the men were saying, I can't meet women. And all the women were saying, I can't meet any men. (laughs) And all the people that I would know who were on the buses going into San Francisco or whatever they're doing or carpooling, they were getting to know each other. Well, when you speed past somebody with all this metal around you every day, that you, they could be the one, you know? And <laughs> <laughs> so you, maybe you should have bumper stickers. I don't know. But I've always, I, I kept hearing that from everybody. And, you know, it's true. I mean, we're so isolated. And for what? But if you start walking... Like at the Tiburon bike path, I used to live in Tiburon. You always meet people, and people want to know each other. I I was taught a little uh, exercise. I, I don't think we have time, or it's quite the the place to do it full on. But let me do it uh, partially because I really love it. It's uh, called. Uh, just like me. And what you do is just basically look around the room, turn, look at the person sitting next to you, uh, as I read these phrases, and just uh, land on one or two people and then move your gaze and land on another couple people and just look at them as as I read these phrases. Become aware that You are looking at a person, a fellow human being. Recognize that this person has a body and a mind, just like me. This person has feelings, emotions, and thoughts, just like me. This person has in his or her life experienced physical and emotional pain, just like me. This person has held someone's hand as a child or an adult, just like me. This person worries and is frightened sometimes, just like me. can change your gaze, look around, just take in the whole room. All of these people long for friendship, just like me. All of these people wish to be safe and happy and healthy, just like me. All of these people occasionally get bored while meditating, just like me. (laughs) 
All of these people have had any number of good belly laughs, just like me. All of these people have seen a picture of the Earth from out in space and have seen the lights of the Milky Way galaxy, just like me. Now, as you're just, just gazing around, just sending loving kindness to everyone, wishes of health and safety and happiness and joy in their lives. May we all come together acknowledging our common desires and our common good, common goals. Thank you. It's an exercise you can do with, you know, one, you do it in pairs and then you change and, um, but it's, it's powerful. It starts to cultivate in you that sense that everyone is indeed just like you and wanting the same things and, you know, it, it builds compassion and it, the smile, you know, smiling at people is, it's the same, the same gesture really. See everybody as uh, just like me. So, predictions. Just uh, before I go to the predictions, let, let me just read this. Uh, <laughs> All parts of the earth are trampled, full of commerce. Fields drive back the forests. Even rocks are cultivated. Swamps are drained. Today's towns outnumber yesterday's houses. Everywhere are residences, people's governments, and man's drastic growth, so enormous we clog the universe, it can barely support us. And as our needs increase, we struggle with each other for them, and nature begins to fail us. That was written by the Roman historian Terulian in 150 AD. <laughs> okay. Okay. Friends, I should let you know that I have had a spiritual breakthrough. Maybe it's due to the new herbal formula I'm taking called chakra decongestant. <laughs> or maybe it's because the battery on my meditation timer died and the bell didn't go off, <laughs> causing me to enter into a blissful absorption for several days. But when I emerged from my altered state, I found that my mystical third eye was permanently open. And even though that condition keeps me awake at night, <laughs> it has also allowed me to see into the future and has enabled me to make the following predictions for what will happen in the year 2014. <laughs> Prediction number one. In the year 2014, the European Union will announce that it will solve the Eurozone debt crisis by selling Belgium. The EU will decide on the sale after turning down a similar proposal to sell timeshares of the Italian province of Tuscany. <laughs> Prediction number two. 
In the year 2014, the Occupy movement will be revived and decide to shut down business as usual in America by occupying all of the public restrooms. <laughs> at great personal sacrifice, occupiers will sit for weeks at a time in the toilets of business and government buildings, restaurants, and malls, making constant reference to the stink of capitalism. <laughs> All across the nation, the American people will be unable to relieve themselves as protesters put into place on every restroom door the sign saying, Occupied. <laughs> Prediction number three. Following on the Supreme Court's decision that corporations are people too, the U.S. Senate will begin debating a bill called the Defense of Mergers Act. However, unlike the debate over the Defense of Marriage Act, conservatives and liberals will be switching sides with conservatives arguing that this is America and a corporation person can merge with any other corporation person they choose. <laughs> Prediction number four. In the year 2014, the coffee and tea producing countries of the world will begin to organize an embargo against the United States Modeling themselves after OPEC, the group will threaten to cut off the supply of coffee and tea to the United States, which, along with oil, are the other dark liquids that fuel our economic engine. <laughs> the Organization of Caffeine Exporting Nations, or CAPEX, <laughs> say they will resume supplies of our daily fix, but only if we pay much, much more for our liquid speed. <laughs> Prediction number five. In the year 2014, President Obama will announce that the United States is so deep in debt that in order to raise money, the nation will begin selling naming rights to anything anywhere within its borders, either natural or man-made. The corporations will immediately begin the bidding, and soon we will be referring to the Budweiser Mississippi, the Walmart Grand Canyon, and in Yellowstone National Park, of course, the old faithful Viagra geyser. Prediction number six. Scientists will discover that according to planetary temperature cycles, the Earth should now be in the middle of a major ice age. Experts believe that the only reason we aren't freezing to death is because of global warming. Engineers will be put to work figuring out how humans can adjust our pollution and use it as a kind of global thermostat to regulate the world's climate. Prediction number seven. The Homeland Security Agency will declare that Buddhists have become a threat to America, <laughs> saying that they encourage people to sit around doing nothing, which is creating a huge drag on the economy. <laughs> FBI agents who have infiltrated Buddhist groups and kept their eyes open will report... <laughs> We'll report that Buddhists are teaching people that everything is impermanent, and that presumably includes the U.S. government. <laughs> the FBI will peacefully take over the Spirit Rock Meditation Center, and after a few months of questioning the people who study there, we'll conclude that these people actually pose no threat to anyone but themselves. <laughs> okay, almost done here. Uh, prediction number eight, in the year 2014, several human clones will be created 
But as the clones come to life, relatives will notice that they don't enjoy being around the person whose stem cells they were cloned from. <laughs> it turns out that any new version of yourself would reject you. Prediction number nine, the year 2014, real estate agencies will begin buying and developing land around the Arctic and Antarctic regions of the Earth as temperatures make human settlements at the poles likely in the next few decades. Plans are being drawn up for the top of the world Motel 6 and the Sheraton Polar Palace where the hotel staff will all be dressed as penguins. <laughs> Prediction number 10, in the year 2014, scientists will once again change their minds and conclude that the universe is contracting rather than expanding. The contraction theory will gain prominence after scientists discover some new particles in the universe that they are calling sakinos. <laughs> These sakinos have suddenly merged, emerged out of the quantum foam and are causing the universe to contract by sucking in the edges of space. Scientists are warning that if the contraction continues, there will no longer be room for all your stuff. <laughs> Finally, prediction number 11 for the year 2014. I'm now seeing a fantastic phenomena, a great international movement growing bigger and stronger with nation states and NGOs joining hands and young people and aging boomers and former revolutionaries and the tired old labor movement and millions upon millions of people around the world who want to end the rule of the profiteers and oligarchs and who understand that we must stop all our petty tribal wars and change our horrible habits of consumption and come together as a species in peril. I am seeing this, this great movement of people who realize that it's time to focus our collective energy on finding ways to clean up the oceans and waterways, control our population growth, and protect all other forms of life. But wait, the vision the vision's kind of fading. And my third eye is closing. I can't see the outcome. I don't know what's going to happen. Could it be the future is still wide open? Perhaps it's still in our hands, my friends, waiting to be shaped by the passage of time and your good intentions. And this is Scoop G. Once again, reminding you to question authority and question reality. And in the, in the year 2014, if you don't like the news, go out and make some of your own. Substitutes have more fun, yeah. <laughs> so, I assume that you're all making a resolution to meditate more in the next year? <laughs> it's the only way. You want happiness? You want your life to get better and be able to handle difficulties more easily and have people love you and Dogs love you and <laughs> Meditate. I'm, I'm telling you, it's the, it's, you got to do it every day for it to really work. It really, it really, it takes regular maintenance.
you know, you brush your teeth twice, three times a day. Meditate that often. It would change your life. Meditate while you're brushing your teeth. It'll change your life. Pretty soon, the salivary content will... You won't even have to brush your teeth. You can just meditate. <laughs> no, it's really... Uh, recently, and, and partly it's because I, I struggle with this time of year, but I've been sitting twice a day for, you know, a half hour, 40, 40 minutes, once in the morning, early morning, and once at about five in the afternoon. And it really, uh, it just, uh, you know, you touch that deepest, that place of your deepest understanding, your deepest wisdom, you touch it, you it let it in, you know, it kind of infuse your being so that you you have some perspective on yourself and your drama and you can come back in, into the moment, be present. It's sweet and, uh, and when you do meditate and you do get to those moments of, you know, relative ease and calm taste and let yourself really, it's called the taste of the mango. Uh, in Asian culture, the taste of the mango is, is the taste of the sweetness. So, to close this evening, I'm going to sing you a song. Uh, I was just at a retreat in, in Hawaii in about a month or so ago. Don't feel jealous. It was, you know, I was there. My mind was there too. Uh, it was a retreat with Ramdas, and uh, you know, Ramdas um, wrote this book, 1969-70, that launched this great wave of young Westerners to go to Asia and uh, study the ancient wisdom traditions at the source. And uh, it really, that book kind of created a revolution. And now, you know, it's common to talk about being here now and how wonderful that is. So I wrote this song for Ram Dass and sang it to him at this retreat. It's called the Ram Dass Waltz. So it's all, it's not only. Okay, let's start it again. It's not just a song, it's a, it's a practice as well. You'll see. Can you go back to the front? No? Yeah. Okay. It's a waltz. Can you turn it up? Be here now. And then, be here now, again. I'll tell you where and when, here and now. You'll never get away from here, no matter how it may appear. You won't find it there, out there. It's always here, here, here. And what time is it? You know you can't miss it. 
It's never the future or past. It's just now, 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 and forever it will last. So be here now, and then be here now again. I'll tell you where and when, here and now. You got it now. We're gonna do we're gonna do a little call and response, okay? When I say where, you say here. When I say when, you say now. And 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 you can kind of like use it as a practice mantra, you know? I'm here and it's now and you know, okay? So okay, here we go. Here we go. Where, when, where and when, beautiful, where and when, where, when, where, when, where, where, when. now so be here now and then be here now again I'll tell you where and when here and now here and now here and now You can use that uh, whenever in need. That's really, you know, I mean, that's what it is all about, isn't it? Uh, I mean, what else is there but the here and now? The future's not here yet. The past is gone. That's all we got this moment. And uh, I wish you all a very, very wonderful new year and uh, great progress on the path of Dharma and uh, a couple things I just want to announce before we close. I, I don't know if Sean has anything else. Um, I, I teach a regular class at Yoga Kula in Berkeley every Wednesday night, Shattuck and Virginia. Uh, I alternate with some other Spirit Rock teachers. And uh, we're having a holiday celebration on Wednesday, January 8th. Uh, you, it's free, and you, there's going to be Himalayan food because the, the this restaurant right below uh, Yoga Kula uh, is uh, I forget what the name of the anyway the, they the taste, the taste of Himalayas yeah and they they do that often they give away food and it's a wonderful place and uh, also um, I'm doing a performance on. January 18th, Saturday night, at the Throckmorton in Mill Valley, uh, if you are around and want, it, want some good laugh and big perspectives. And Anyway, thanks for coming. It was fun to be with you here tonight, and Happy New Year, everybody.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.